This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. A chilly morning here in the Northeast. Temperatures, I was 21 degrees when I got up this morning. It's just uh, it's supposed to be a, a chilly day today. Going to warm up over the weekend, but then uh, they're talking about ice and snow next week. I can hardly wait. Uh, as you probably heard in the news at the top of the hour, the Supreme Court uh, rejected uh, Donald Trump's bid to get the uh, election overturned in Pennsylvania. They declined uh, to take up the case without comment. Just basically puts an end to the whole mess. Look, even if you're a Donald Trump supporter, you got to be saying enough. You know, I mean, it, it's you know, I mean, come on. So let's hope that we are just about heard the last that. Although yesterday at a press conference, he was still saying, well, we don't know who the next administration is going to be. Really? So anyway, uh, good good on the Supreme Court. I know he was he put a lot of faith in the Supreme Court after uh, Amy Coney Barrett. He uh, selected her to be uh, on the Supreme Court, hoped she was going to help him out. Yeah, she didn't help him out so much yesterday. So uh, good on them. Uh, by the way, happy birthday to my stepson, Joe Roller, is uh, 33 years old today, so happy birthday, Joe. Um, I was watching the Tuesday night football game last night, which, by the way, sounds weird, but it's been this kind of year. I was thinking about it. You know, we got we got a game tomorrow night. The Patriots play tomorrow night. Uh, we've had, we have football like almost every day of the week lately. And there are probably people that would love that if the NFL did some kind of scheduling where there was an NFL game every night. Uh, but uh, just been strange. A Tuesday night game last night. Anyway, I was watching it, and I had forgotten that last night was the 40th anniversary of the murder of John Lennon. And uh, they last night on a on a Fox broadcast, they showed the clip of Howard Cosell announcing to the world that John Lennon had been killed. And you know, you think about it now. That would have been on Twitter long before Howard Cosell ever announced it on on Monday Night Football if this had been today. But think about it. 40 years ago, all right, you know, 1980, there was no Internet. You know, there was no 24-hour news cycle. We didn't have stations on the air all the time with news and breaking. You know, it just it wasn't it was a different world. You know, and now, I mean, like I said, with social media, it'd be crazy and all the TV stations would be breaking in. And But Howard Cosell, of all people, was the one who broke the news that John Lennon had been killed. I will never forget it. I was in my dorm room at Franklin Pierce College, now Franklin Pierce University, uh, at Franklin Pierce College in Ringe, New Hampshire, watching the game. I believe the Patriots were playing, as a matter of fact. Um, and I had to... Uh, 
I called the radio station because I was a, a member of the radio station, and I called the radio station, and the station manager, Kurt Mulfelder, was actually on the air at the time, and I called and talked to Kurt and told him what happened, and he was stunned. Uh, you know, he was practically in tears, and uh, so, uh, and I was supposed to do a show later on, and Kurt said, you know what, don't worry about it. Uh, you stay there. I'm just going to play Beatles music. And so Kurt uh, kind of ran with it after that. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's one of those things. That for whatever reason, you know, we all remember, like, when monumental things happen in the world, uh, We a lot of times we remember where we were. And for whatever reason, that John Lennon thing has always stuck with me. Now, maybe it's because music is such has always been such a big part of my life. But, uh, yeah, 40 years ago, and Mark David Chapman uh, still, uh, fortunately, incarcerated and I don't think he's uh, ever going to get out and uh you know and and uh, Yoko Ono put out a statement yesterday and you know talking about how you know after 40 years that uh, you know they they all still miss him his son Sean, Sean and Julian and and the world misses him you wonder what other music you know he might have still had in him Paul McCartney has certainly been prolific uh in the last 40 years you wonder what John Lennon would have done uh had he not been killed uh, all right. Um, before we get to uh, to some sports stuff, the other thing I, w- I was thinking about, and it's kind of it's kind of sports. Um, I was watching the Today Show yesterday, and then the NBC Evening News last night, and a report that they had yesterday was the idea that going forward with this whole coronavirus pandemic, that going forward. People may have to prove that they have had the vaccine in order to attend a game or a concert. Now, think about that. Now, look, I want to preface this by saying I'm all about the vaccination program. I I think it's great. I think the fact that they developed this vaccine as quickly as they did is super. But I also don't think that we should be forcing people to get this in order to attend a concert or a game. The the medical experts have said that as long as I believe it's 70 percent or 80 percent of the United States population gets the vaccine, we will have what's considered herd immunity. And by and large, you know, we will be able to control this thing and it'll be just like the flu. It'll be just like any other thing that, you know, that comes out. But most people will be protected. I don't think that, you know, and I don't think, you know, there's been rumors out there. Oh, you know, the government's going to put some kind of a chip in the uh, in the vaccine. So they're going to, you know, they're going to chip everybody that gets it. No, come on. I, I don't believe that. But I do wonder whether they can require everyone to get this. Now, the schools can do it. Look, we have mandatory vaccination for schools for, you know, measles and and all that other stuff and and I that's fine. You know, if you want to force young people to get this so that their bodies when they're young build up the immunity, I think that's fine. But requiring adults to get it, that's going to be difficult. You know, but if you're because like I for one, I don't think I'm going to get it. I don't think I'm going to get the vaccine. Why? I'm 60 years old. Uh, If I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. 
but it's also new. I'd rather, you know what, you know what, maybe I'll get it a year down the road, but I don't get, as I've said on the air before, I don't get a flu vaccine. I don't get the, uh, the, you can get a pneumonia vaccine or a shingles vaccine. I don't get any of that stuff. You know, I just, I'm, I'm healthy. You know, I mean, I'm a fat bastard and I'm bald and all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm relatively healthy. You know, I'm active and you know, it, it is what it is. And, and you know, you know, people that have had this and I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not discounting the virus, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I don't believe that the COVID-19 is dangerous. I, I, it, there's enough evidence to show us that it is. I just don't think I'm going to get the vaccine. Now, I may down the road, but I don't think I'm going to do it now. My wife's the same way. I know a lot of people, a lot of adults that feel the same way. So if you are the government or you are a, a, a team, how can you force somebody? And they're talking about, by the way, in order to prove it, you're going to have to have an app on your phone that's going to, that you have to hold up and show people that you're, you've had the vaccination. That's an invasion of privacy. You know, we don't have to walk around with a paper in our wallet saying that we've had a measles vaccine when we were a kid. You know, I mean, I, I just have an issue with that. And I hope that this is not where we are going with it. You know, because if you tell me I can't go to a Red Sox game without proof of a vaccine, I don't know what I'm going to do. Is it going to force me to get the vaccine? And maybe that's part of this. Maybe they're thinking if we put if 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 everybody puts pressure on the public to you won't be able to do a certain thing if you don't get the vaccine, then they'll go and get it. Maybe that's part of the strategy here. But if it is, it's wrong. You know, it's wrong. I, again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get the vaccine. I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't take this virus seriously because I do. But I'm just saying that if someone chooses not to get the vaccination, they shouldn't be required to. And if, you know, if the majority of the American public gets it, then, you know, then the risk is on me. I'm the one taking the risk. Nobody else is. If you get the vaccine and I don't, you're protected. I'm not. And I'd be the one to get sick. Right. So why are we going to require that to go into a, a venue? Just just a thought that I had last night. And, you know, I, I just I believe in privacy. I don't want anybody snooping into my personal stuff, whether it's my health history, my bank account, uh, whatever, you know, uh, my passwords. You know, we all get hacked on the computer. And that's the other issue is if, if we have to do this via an app. How it, there's going to be a company that is the clearinghouse for this that is going to have that information. Who knows what other information they're going to have? And that's my concern. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, like just showing the thing, showing it to a, you know, Fenway Park, and that's fine, I guess. But it, my concern is that somebody else is then going to have my information online somewhere that can be hacked. So that that's my concern. So anyway, I, I hope that doesn't come to pass. But, you know, this is a fluid situation. We'll see. Uh, and, and I think we're going to start seeing the vaccinations uh, coming out this weekend. The FDA doesn't vote until tomorrow. But they've already put out some preliminary reports basically saying it's safe. I mean, it, the tomorrow is basically just going to be the rubber stamp. And then we, we get moving with this thing. So and for some people, it can't come fast enough here in the state of Connecticut, Quinnipiac University. 
Uh, their men's basketball team has has had to suspend activities because they have had a positive test within their program. They were supposed to play this weekend uh, a two-game series against Iona. Uh, that has been postponed. Uh, this comes, by the way, on the heels of uh, Quinnipiac shut down all sports activities in early November because of the rising number of cases. Their hockey team has had to cancel three games after they've had a couple of uh, players on their team test positive. Uh, and as we know, both UConn men and women have had to shut down at different times, and the men have had to shut down twice. Uh, the men have already lost. Uh, they were supposed to play a game uh, coming up on uh, Friday. That's off. Uh, they're supposed to travel to Georgetown on Sunday. That's not going to happen. And uh, we don't know when UConn will be back. So, you know, it just continues. Uh, the big national news, of course, Michigan and Ohio State football that was supposed to take place this weekend is off. Now, you know, from the moment that Michigan had to cancel a game against Maryland, it was already kind of set up. People were saying, well, they're just trying to figure out a way to get out of playing Ohio State, which is, you know, the cynical view. Now, Michigan's not very good. Michigan's two and four. Ohio State was going to drill them. It was going to be ugly. I mean, they beat them 56 to 27 last year in Michigan. Uh, and, uh, Michigan has never beaten Ohio State with Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. But I don't believe this is trying to – there's anything nefarious going on here. Look, their athletic director, Ward Manuel, came out and said that the, the spread of the virus on campus has not slowed down. Uh, and they were not expected to be able to practice at all this week. So, you know, I don't think there's any – underhanded stuff going on here. There was a, it was, it does it work out for Michigan that they don't have to take a beating this week. Yeah. The, the issue here is with Ohio state and what the big 10 decides to do in order to qualify for the conference championship game. You were required to have to play six games because of opponents having to cancel games. Ohio state has only been able to play five. And Ohio State is currently number four in the college football playoff rankings. If they don't get to participate in the conference championship game, how will that affect what the college football playoff committee does? Now, the Big Ten can still change their mind and they can change the rules and say, you don't need six games. We're going to let Ohio State play Indiana in the conference championship game. And I really believe that's what the Big Ten will do. It's the right thing to do. You know, you can set out these arbitrary numbers. That's all well and good. But we've had 110 games in college football that have been either canceled uh, or, you know, rescheduled and still to be played. 110. Including, by the way, this the, the, a, a regular season finale this week. Uh, in the American Conference against Cincinnati and Tulsa, the number seven and number 18 teams in the country. So, you know, this isn't something new. So I don't think you can punish Ohio State. I think the Big Ten has to make that decision. And we know if Ohio State plays Indiana, Ohio State will win that game. They already beat them once this year. You know, Indiana is a, a very good football team, 
but they are not at the level of Ohio State. Even Ward Manuel, by the way, the Michigan athletic director, said, hey, you know, Ohio State shouldn't be penalized for this. Nor sh-, He said, Ohio State or any other team. You know, so, I mean, he's already put it out there that, that he's in full support of the Big Ten making the decision to let Ohio State into the conference championship game, which I think they have to do. Uh, but, you know, first time in, what, 100, 100 years? 102 years, the first time this game has not been played. That's a long time. Uh, you know, but I, again, I don't think it has anything to do with Jim Harbaugh trying to duck a game. I mean, Harbaugh was quoted as saying, Hey, I want to play. The players want to play, but it is what it is. So, um, other things that have been affected by COVID, our latest, our daily COVID look, uh, Basketball games all over the country now being affected. This is going to be something that is going to be a problem. Getting through this season is going to be tough. Now, look, you know, we talk about football, and uh, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, said yesterday, you know, that while it's unfortunate that Michigan and Ohio State aren't going to play, 80% of the college football games scheduled this year have been played. 80%. That is... Ladies and gentlemen, in my mind, is nothing short of a miracle. You know, uh, I did not think we'd see that many. So 80%, that's, you know, pretty impressive. Uh, Now, to be fair, it's 80% of major college football games, the bowl division. You know, because a lot of the the Division II and Division III programs all shut down for the year. Why? They don't have the resources the money to do the kind of testing that you have to do in order to make these games happen. There was no chance that smaller schools were going to be able to play simply because they could not afford to be testing people two, three days a week. Those tests cost money. You know, they're not getting, you know, they're not, as much as we might like to think, ladies and gentlemen, that this testing is something being done out of the goodness of people's hearts, that's not the case. For instance, I know of a young man uh, who is a college graduate who currently doesn't have insurance. Well, he was around people that had be- that had tested positive for the virus, so he had to go get tested. That test cost him $150 because he didn't have insurance. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of people like that across this country. And a lot of these programs, you know, you might be able to, insurance might pay for one test, but if you've got to get three or four a week, that's not going to happen. So these big universities have had to outlay a lot of money to make this happen. So, you know, and which is why the small schools have it and which is why small schools aren't playing basketball either. Uh, Michigan was supposed to play Virginia tonight. In basketball, that's off. West Virginia has had to cancel its home opener, which was supposed to be tonight against Robert Morris. Uh, Robert Morris has had uh, uh, positive tests within their program, so they are shut down. Uh, South Carolina's men's basketball game against Wofford on Thursday, off. Uh, UNLV men's basketball has had to cancel their game tonight. Uh, you know, it's just one after another after another. 
Uh, Baylor. We were supposed to have number one versus number two last weekend. Baylor, uh, they couldn't play. Well, Baylor is going to try to play its home opener tonight, but it's going to be against a different team. The team they were supposed to play uh, doesn't have enough players able to play. So, you know, it's just this is going to be, you know, we're going to we're going to face the same thing. The NCAA basketball tournament that is going to come up in March, we're going to face the same problem. The NCAA, you know, as going through with this season, has recommended, you know, a team play a certain number of non-conference games. Well, there is a good chance that there that many schools are not going to be able to do that. UConn is one of them. Danny Hurley, the UConn men's basketball coach, doesn't like to play non-conference games once their conference schedule starts. Well, their conference schedule starts now. When they come back to play again, they're going to be playing conference games. So UConn has played three non-conference games. I believe the NCAA wants five or six. They're trying to have a, you know, so that there's some other uh, comparison out there other than your conference schedule in terms of seeding, et cetera, for the tournament. Well, UConn's probably not going to have those, and they're not going to be the only school. So the NCAA is going to have to kind of shuffle things on the fly with that as well. Uh, but again, you know, just like with the big 10 with Ohio state, they're going to have to, you know, you might have, you can have all the rules in the world, but you've got to be able to roll with the punches, you know, and, uh, Ohio state needs to be in that conference championship game next week. And Ohio state, in my mind, while they may not be the juggernaut that people think they are, they're still probably one of the, one of the four or five best teams in college football. So they have to be able to. Uh, have an opportunity to be in the college football playoff, in my mind. In my mind. And if they beat Indiana in the conference championship game and beat them for the second time this season, Indiana, I think, is ranked ninth. And if they beat them twice, you know, they're a slam dunk to get into the college football playoff, and they ought to. It's not their fault that they can't play Michigan this weekend. 28 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. Uh, by the way, congratulations to Howard Stern. Not that he needs it from me, but Howard Stern just re-upped for his show on Sirius XM. Five years, two, no, yeah, five years, $600 million. He's going to make $120 million a year to do his daily radio show. God bless America. I mean, uh, you know, I wish I six hundred. I wish I could get somebody to pay me, you know, a tenth of that to do my show every morning. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. You know, maybe if I was, uh, you know, maybe if we had uh, naked lesbian wrestling or something like, you know, the kind of stuff that Howard used to do in the old days. Maybe that's what, you know, uh, unbelievable. But good for him. Good for him. And frankly, if you look at uh, SiriusXM. The number of subscribers that he brought to that satellite radio service by moving his show there back in 2005, he probably saved satellite radio. And I don't think that is an overestimation. They're actually saying that if he decided to retire, that it would probably cost serious uh, several million subscribers lost. They would lose 
in the range of, you know, five, six hundred million dollars. So uh, for Sirius a year. So for Sirius investing one hundred and twenty million dollars a year in a Howard Stern's uh, Howard Stern show is a good business practice. So good for him. I just got to figure out how to get in on that gig. That's awesome. Uh, NFL football last night, the Baltimore Ravens uh, kept their playoff hopes alive as they uh, easily beat the Dallas Cowboys last night, 34-17. to Lamar Jackson, as everybody said, look, if this team is going to do anything, Lamar Jackson needs to put them on his back and carry them home. Now, he did that yesterday, 94 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, he also threw two touchdown passes. Um, and so this was a pretty easy win for the Ravens. They did get some help. Look, uh, <laughs> Greg Zerline missed three field goals last night. You know, that could have made – it wouldn't have won the game necessarily for Dallas, but what it would have done perhaps is changed – uh, play calling, it could have changed the tenor of the game if it was closer. You know, it's one of those things you just don't know what the trickle-down effect of missing all those field goals is, but uh, that certainly did not help. But Lamar Jackson got things started, a 37-yard run um, at the end of the first quarter, put Baltimore on top. Dallas took the lead back on a touchdown pass by Andy Dalton, uh, but then Baltimore got another Touchdown this time, a pass from Lamar Jackson to Miles Boykin, put him ahead 14 to 10, and it was all over but the shout. And then they built a uh, uh, 27, or excuse me, a 17 uh, 10 lead at the half. They opened it up to 27 to 10 early in the fourth, and uh, that was the end of that. Uh, Andy Dalton did what, you know, the best that he could, threw for 285 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, Zeke Elliott, 77 yards rushing on 18 carries, but the Dallas defense was awful. Dallas came in as the last-ranked defense against the run in the NFL, and <laughs> Baltimore took full advantage of it yesterday. Uh, Baltimore ran for 294 yards. They averaged 7.9 yards a carry. Gus Edwards had 101 yards on just seven carries. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, 71 yards rushing and a touchdown. I mean, it was just, uh, it was ugly. Uh, snaps a three-game losing streak for Baltimore. Uh, and look, Baltimore has had their share of problems. They have, uh, this was the first, Lamar Jackson hadn't played in 15 days. Hadn't seen his teammates in 15 days. The Ravens have had 23 guys this year, 23 on the COVID-19 list. Now, you know, and they have readily admitted that perhaps they weren't as diligent as they should have been <laughs> with the protocols. So, uh, but now they are back in the hunt and their next biggest game comes up this weekend. Or next weekend, I should say. Well, actually, I guess it is this coming weekend. They have to play the Cleveland Browns. Browns are 9-3. and three. The Browns got their first, I would say, quality win of the season as when they drilled Tennessee last week. 
they've got to follow that up against Baltimore. Um, and if they don't, then Baltimore's playoff hopes uh, become even greater. I think that uh, it's a huge game. And as far as Dallas goes, <laughs> three and nine. But they're not out of it. And they have a bad Cincinnati team next week, but they are not out of it. With four games to play in the season, they're only two games behind the Giants and the Redskins. Now, here's what we know. There's no wild card coming out of the NFC East, but they still have an opportunity here because they have games within the division left and they still have to play Cincinnati this week. Uh, so, you know, don't count the Cowboys out yet, but they are certainly uh, on life support. Um, Mike Tomlin uh, talked to the press yesterday and uh, talked about how he addressed his team uh, at practice on Tuesday. And basically, uh, Mike Tomlin said to his wide receivers and tight ends on Tuesday, uh, you either catch the football or you're going to get replaced by somebody else who will. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, Paul uh, Jerry uh, pointed out that uh, seven drop passes in that game yesterday or uh, uh, Monday for Pittsburgh, and they've dropped 31 this year. And Mike Tomlin's getting kind of sick of it. Um, and they managed just three points after halftime in that loss uh, against Washington. You know, and look, <laughs> the. They probably weren't going to go undefeated anyway, but losing to Washington, I think, is what really stung. And the guy that probably is in the biggest crosshairs is uh, tight end Eric Ebron. Uh, he dropped three of those seven passes on Monday night. And he, had, look, that's been a problem for him uh, throughout his career. And, you know, he's not a rookie. This is a guy that's been in the league for six years. He was the number 10 overall pick uh, back in 2014 out of North Carolina, but he has had problems dropping footballs his entire career. Matter of fact, uh, last year he dropped 9.5% of catchable balls. So out of every – so every ten, you throw to him 10 times, he's going to drop one of them, even if it's right in his hands. Uh, so he might be uh, in the process of uh, playing himself um, out of playing time. Uh, but you, look, you can't you, you can't blame Mike Tomlin. You know, it, if I were him, I'd be upset too. Uh, let's see, we've got uh, some other stuff from last night. Men's basketball, Boston College had a 15 point lead against Minnesota last night. Couldn't hold it. They end up losing it in overtime, 85 to 80. Uh, not a great start to the season for BC. They are one and four now. They've lost three in a row. Uh, Marcus Carr last night came into the game uh, as one of the leading scorers in the country, averaging 26.5 points a game. Uh, Boston College really put the uh, screws to him in the first half. They held him to just two points in the first half. Well, Carr came out and ended up scoring 22. He scored nine of those 22 in overtime and to help Minnesota improve to 5-0. and It was part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, so a uh, tough loss for Boston College last night. Uh, other games last night, number five, Kansas beat number eight, Creighton, last night. Jalen Wilson with the go-ahead three-pointer uh, in the final minute, and uh, they sneaked by Creighton 73-72, and the only reason this one didn't go into overtime um, is uh, Marcus Zigorowski 
had three feet three boy say that really fast he had three free throws with one second left on the clock he got fouled on a three-point attempt he hit the first two but he missed the third one that would have sent it into overtime uh, so Kansas manages to hang on to the victory uh, there couple other NFL notes uh, before we go to the break uh, the Cardinals activated Larry Fitzgerald he'd missed the last two games uh, with uh, uh, the COVID-19 uh, he's 37 years old. They expect him to be available for the game against the Giants this week. Uh, they have missed him. They have lost two games since he was out. So uh, he will be back in action this week for Arizona. Um, and uh, the Broncos quarterback, A.J. Boye, is facing a suspension uh, for violating the league's substance abuse policy on uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, so um, <laughs> a nightmare season for Denver just gets worse. And uh, one of the note out of the Steelers camp, uh, linebacker Robert Spillane is going to be out at least for a couple of weeks with a knee injury. They said he is not going to uh, need surgery. Uh, they do expect him to be back, but he has got some kind of a uh, knee injury uh, on his left knee, so he will be out uh, for their game coming up this week against Baltimore. Uh, in tennis, Sophia Kennan was named the uh, WTA Player of the Year. Of course, she won the Australian Open, uh, her first Grand Slam title. She was the runner-up at the French Open. Uh, 22-year-old from Florida, she was 16-2 and two, uh, in Grand Slam uh, matches this year uh, and finished the season with a career-best ranking of number four. So congratulations to her. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got some baseball news to wrap things up this morning. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the wake-up call, 43 minutes past the hour here on a Wednesday morning. So uh, in what I don't think will be the last time we will hear this this year, um, a minor league team, the minor league affiliate uh, of the New York Yankees, the Staten Island Yankees, uh, announced at the end of last week that they are shutting down operations. They are part of... Uh, of the situation going on in Major League Baseball where they are, where teams are contracting or Major League Baseball is contracting the minor leagues and teams are shifting um, their affiliates. Well, the Yankees announced that they were going to uh, uh, pull out of their agreement with Staten Island uh, as part of the, that restructuring system. Uh, so... The Staten Island Yankees have decided that they are going to sue the Yankees. <laughs> they filed a lawsuit accusing the Yankees of violating agreement that it would never abandon the farm club. Look, uh, they're known as the Baby Bombers. They have uh, been an affiliate of the Yankees since 2001. They play – their stadium is actually kind of cool. I've been there a few times. Uh, Waterfront Stadium is uh, like 7,000 seats, and uh, it's, you know, they have had guys play there like Robinson Cano, uh, Brett Gardner. There's been a lot of current Yankees that have come through Staten Island. Um, I think that we are going to see more of this. You know, the Yankees have also pulled out of Trenton. Trenton was their double-A team. They are no longer going to be their double-A team. I think that we are going to see not just suits against uh, Major League clubs, but perhaps against Major League Baseball as well. 
because we are going to lose at least 40 teams this year in minor league baseball. You know, it's interesting. You know, we're hoping that uh, the Lowell Spinners, uh, one of the Red Sox single-A affiliate, looks like they might survive, uh, but it's hard to say. Entire leagues have been changed. Uh, the Pioneer League, which used to be a rookie league, is now going to be a wooden bat league for draft-eligible prospects. So instead of it being guys that have already been drafted in their rookies, it's going to be for college kids that are draft-eligible, and they can go play in there prior to the draft taking place kind of as a showcase. The season is going to run from late May through mid-August. Um, the first half of the season is going to be a showcase for draft-eligible high school, college, and junior college players. Then they're going to have a break, and then the rosters are going to be restocked with the best players that were passed over by Major League Baseball teams. So uh, the first half of the season is going to be kids that are drafted or are going to be drafted, and the second half will be kids that weren't drafted but still want to try to play, and it'll be a chance for uh, clubs to give guys another look and say, geez, maybe, maybe we should have, shouldn't have passed on this guy. Um, the, um, uh, the New York Penn League is going to become uh, a, a college league. It's going to become a summer league for college players. You know, we have a lot of those. Uh, you know, it's going to be kind of like a Cape Cod league now. You know, I'm actually wondering whether the Cape Cod League will survive this. The Cape Cod League for years has been able to bring in some of the quality college players from around the country to Massachusetts to play in the summer. It has been a great showcase. You wonder if the Cape Cod League will be able to continue with what Major League Baseball is trying to do now uh, by moving things around. So I think we're going to see more of this, but I just thought it was funny. The, uh, the Staten Island Yankees are suing the New York Yankees. Uh, look, and, and look, to be fair to the Yankees, the New York Yankees, they have had that longtime affiliation with Staten Island, but at the same time, the attendance in Staten Island has been abysmal. You know, it was pretty good in the beginning, but I believe it was in 2019. Obviously, no minor league teams played last year, but in 2019, they only drew about 1,500 fans. And in a major metropolitan area like that, you would expect them to do a little bit better. So I, I would think that that may have something to do uh, with the Yankee decision as well. So, I, you know, that's going to be a, a case of, I think, uh, they can come back and say, well, you didn't exactly hold up your end of the bargain either. Uh, now... Uh, they have been uh, the Staten Island Yankees were approached by the independent uh, uh, independent league that has uh, oh, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but they were approached by a couple of independent leagues anyway about trying to play uh, in their league. And they said, no, they don't want to do that uh, because they would have to field a subpar team. So the Yankees have the Staten Island Yankees have decided to just cease operations. So. If we can't have the team that we had before, rather than have a subpar team, we're just going to uh, to pull the plug and hope to sue the New York Yankees and get a settlement out of them so we can uh, get some money on the way out the door. Uh, so uh, we mentioned the trade by uh, the Texas Rangers to send Lance Lynn to the Chicago White Sox. Well, the White Sox made another move yesterday. Uh, they have signed Adam Eaton away from the Washington Nationals. It's a one-year deal 
for $8 million bucks. It helps uh, the White Sox plug a hole. Now they will have Adam Eaton uh, in the outfield with uh, Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. Uh, I would think that, uh, that uh, Eaton will plug right into the right field side over there. Uh, it, the White Sox will have an option for $8.5 million for 2022 uh, with a $1 million buyout. So uh, this is going to be, I'll tell you what, I mean, that starting staff with Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, uh, Michael Kopech, who's supposed to, you know, they're hoping is going to be fully back from Tommy John surgery, the kid that throws like 103 miles an hour, former Red Sox prospect. Um, man, I'll tell you what, uh, that is going to be a really exciting Chicago White Sox team next year. Really, really good. Uh, another signing yesterday, uh, and I think this is a solid move for the Kansas City Royals. They signed Carlos Santana uh, to a two-year deal for $17 million. bucks. Santana's 34 years old, a guy who has been an all-star for Cleveland, uh, played 10 years in Cleveland, uh, hits the heck out of the ball. He had 216 homers in his 10 seasons with the Indians. Uh, he is very durable. He's played at least 143 games every year, of course, except for last season. Um, now, his numbers slipped last year. He only hit 199, but again, as I've said before, I don't think you can take any numbers from last year, good or bad, and read an awful lot into that. Seriously, you know, you're playing 60 games, you're playing it with really no spring training or minimal spring training, then a huge shutdown, and then a minimal training camp to ramp back up. You're playing it in front of no fans, you're playing it against a with a different kind of schedule than you've played before, I, so I don't. I just don't. I, I don't read a lot into last year. So that 199 doesn't doesn't scare me. Um, but this is a guy. I mean, look, Santana is a guy that can hit you 270, 280, 290. Um, and that is a look. Now he plugs into first place. The Royals had thought about moving Hunter Dozier over from third to first. Now they can plug Santana in there, and uh, and, and the other part it does is he wore out the Kansas City Royals as a member uh, of the opposition. So you get him, uh, you get him out of the uh, other dugout too, which is a plus. It doesn't. This isn't the thing that's going to put the Royals over the top. They need to get a lot more pitching. But the Royals are doing are showing that they're going to spend some money. They've got a new owner. John Sherman bought the team. They just signed Mike Miner uh, to a two-year deal for $18 bucks. They just signed Michael A. Taylor for next year, a uh, speedy outfielder, and they kept all their arbitration-eligible players, including Jorge Soler uh, and their ace, Brad Keller. <laughs> ace. Uh, I don't know if I'd consider him an ace, but he's the best they got. Uh, so they need more pitching, no question about it, but Carlos Santana definitely makes them uh, a better team. Uh, another signing yesterday, Matt, uh, Matt Whistler is leaving the Minnesota Twins, and uh, they failed to offer him a contract. He has signed a deal with the San Francisco Giants. It's a modest one-year, uh, $1.15 million deal uh, with $500,000 in performance bonuses can be added to that. He's still 28 years old. Uh, he had 18 appearances last year for Minnesota. Uh, he actually made four starts as well. Uh, went 0-1, but his ERA was 1.07. Um, I think that uh, good move for Gabe Kapler and the uh, San Francisco Giants. Um, the Hall of Fame voting 
will be concluded uh, coming up here at the uh, uh, end of December. Uh, but one thing we do know, the, the, uh, the Spink Award, which is given out to journalism, uh, is going to go to Dick Cagle, a longtime writer for the St. Louis Cardinals and Kansas City Royals, and a guy who was the editor of the Sporting News uh, for a long time. A guy who's he's 81 years old now. He was in journalism for 53 years. Uh, so he will be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame Writers Wing uh, coming up in 2021 alongside uh, the great Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe, who, of course, died of a heart attack a couple of years ago. Uh, Cafardo was supposed to be inducted this year, but since the ceremonies were put off, so uh, Cagle and uh, Cafardo will go in together uh, in the ceremony next July 24th. So that's pretty cool. Uh, one other quick note before we get out of here. A great story out of Japan. Uh, I saw this on Twitter uh, the other day, uh, Ichiro Suzuki, uh, the great hitter from Japan, longtime Seattle Mariner, is now working as a high school coach uh, in Japan. Now, he's still a special assistant for the Seattle Mariners, but he is working uh, with a, uh, a high school. It's one of the big powerhouses in Japan, uh, Chiben Wakamaya in western Japan, and uh, he is working as an on-field coach and was out on the field uh, working alongside his players and giving them hitting instructions. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Ichiro, 47 years old, a guy who reluctantly retired. I think he, I think if a team had uh, been willing to give him a contract, he would have kept playing. But, uh, uh, but pretty cool. Uh, a guy that uh, just loves the game and uh, is now coaching out in Japan. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Dan Zampano is going to join us tomorrow instead of Friday for his weekly uh, football spot. Uh, he has to attend a graduation uh, on Friday morning, so he is not going to be available uh, then. So we will have him on tomorrow morning at 9.30. Hope you can join us. We leave you this morning with some holiday music from Morgan Evans, All I Want for Christmas. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country 93.7.